Countdown. My name is Scott Wright from DraftCountdown.com. And I'm Shane P. Hallam from DraftTV.com. So we're going to have a little bit of a different show today. Uh, we're going to took some suggestions from Twitter of some prospects. We're going to have a head-to-head show where we ask for suggestions of prospects who are pretty close in rank, and uh, we're going to make the decision on which one is better. But it doesn't really work with two people in case Scott and I disagree. So we had to go out and get a third person, and we did just that. So I want to introduce our guest today is Brian Perez, uh, who is co-owner of DraftBreakdown.com and the founder of First Round Grade Scouting. And actually, the uh, Huddle Report winner for 2014 for the Mock Draft Challenge, which which I have definitely never done. Uh, Scott, I don't know if you've won a Mock Draft uh, Challenge. I got one by the you got one. So Brian's tied with you now. So Brian, welcome to the show, man. Thanks for coming on. Gentlemen, thank you very much. It's a pleasure. And, you know, I, I chalk up my championship, my reigning title to just beginner's luck at this point. First time in, and I'm debating whether or not to retire as champ right now. <laughs> While you're ahead. <laughs> exactly. I like it. So uh, so we'll kind of start, and I'll give some of these suggestions. We'll go around the horn and talk about which of these players we like more. Uh, obviously, the NFL Combine's coming up. We'll be talking about that in the, the uh, a couple upcoming shows. So you'll definitely get your, your Combine info here uh, going forward. But let's uh, let's just kick it right off. We've got a ton of these to, to go through. I think it's going to be a lot of fun. So our, our first head-to-head comes from a Sunny8402 on Twitter, and it is offensive tackle Eric Flowers out of Miami against TJ Clemmings from Pittsburgh. So, um, Scott, why don't, we, why don't we let you start? You love the trenches, so how about you start this first one? Yeah, and, and I think this battle, what it comes down to is, are you looking for that true left tackle? Because I think TJ Clemmings has much better feet, and, and I think I feel a lot more confident that he has the skill set to protect the blind side at the next level, whereas Eric Flowers, it might be a better all-around player right now, but might be more of that right tackle. And I kind of watching Flowers, he kind of reminds me of Michael Orr in that. Yeah, he probably could play left tackle, but his best fit might be on the right side because his feet are a little bit heavy. But at the same time, it's not like it hindered him that much in college. It's not like he's consistently getting beat off the edge and. And Eric Flowers, I don't know that he's the flashiest guy around. He certainly doesn't have those those feet like Clemens, but he's just a really good all-around player. He's nasty in the run game. He's aggressive. Uh, and as I said, he does get that job done in pass pro as well. But if you're definitely looking for uh, that, that, that nimble-footed left tackle, I think Clemens probably gets the edge. And in five years from now, Clemens might be the better player. But if you're willing to maybe sacrifice uh, a little bit of, of those physical tools for maybe a little bit more polish uh, and, and a little bit more help immediately, then I think you might side with Flowers. But uh, I, I think Flowers, I think they're both top 25 overall picks, um, and, and I, I think it's just a matter of preference. What type of player are you looking for from my standpoint? All right, Brian, you you go next. All right. You know, I agree with a lot of what Scott said. I think also a lot of this comes down to where you'd have to pick, you know, TJ Clemmings versus Eric Flowers. I think Eric Flowers, you can get a little bit later, even if you're talking later in round one or even in round two. I currently have him as a late second round guy, and Clemmings right now is a high second round guy. They're probably both going to end up going in the top 32, but I think Clemmings is going to get pushed a little bit higher because of exactly what Scott said. You know, he looks the part of a future starting left tackle in the NFL. And we all know how valuable that position is in, in today's day and age. And, you know, with Clemming's athleticism, his length, and the fact that he's still growing into the position and he's going to only get better, at least that's projection, is that he'll get better as he gets pro coaching and evolves into his body more. Uh, he looks the part of a guy that can really be a blindside protector for a decade or more. But he is raw and he does have some risk, you know, when you assess where you'd have to draft him, he's probably a guy, like Scott said, that's going to end up going in the top 20, but I don't think he has top 20 film. He's a player that you're taking there because you eventually feel like you're going to coach him up and get him technically sound enough to be that left tackle. So at this point, I probably would lean toward climbing just because of the upward trajectory and the potential for him to fill one of the most valuable positions on the field. But in terms of actual value, Flowers is a guy that he end up he could end up slipping into the second round. I know he has a lot of that first-round buzz right now, but if you can get him at the top or even middle of the second round versus getting T.J. Clemmings in the top 15, 
the value would tend to say flowers for pu- just purely as a draft selection. But in terms of potential upside in the NFL, I would go with Clemmings. Well, I'm going to, I'm going to go a little bit different with this. I, I love both these players. I think, I, I think both of them bring something different to the table. Uh, we've seen both of them be dominant in the run game at the college level. Um, and honestly, uh, to me, I, I think you could grade either of these players out among that top group of offensive tackles. Uh, if, if you're if you're if you have Brandon Sheriff as an offensive guard, I think after that it becomes kind of as, as, as Scott had your choice of where you're picking and what you need and what type of player that you want. Um, I do agree with both of you that I think T.J. Clemmings has probably a little bit more of that upside with with his length and potential to be a left tackle because he he hasn't. You know, we haven't seen him do that. So a lot of that is a projection of can he play the left side? He has only played the position for a couple years in college. How how is that going to work? Whereas we've seen Eric Flowers play left tackle. Now, I don't think he's been as effective as Clemmings was on the right side. But we've at least seen him do it, have some bad games, have some good games. Um, so I, I have Flowers rated a little bit higher to me. I think you get that dominant run blocker. I've seen him play left tackle, and even with the, the, the heavy feet, and it's probably not his ideal spot at the NFL level, uh, he at least has that experience. So um, so that, uh, that I, I like Flowers a little bit more. And I, I think for both these players going in that, that first round top 20, well within the possibility with how many teams really need this. So, um, so let's, let's go around, let's give our final verdict. Scott, which one are you taking, Flowers or Clemmings? Well, it's pretty close, but I'm going to stick with my guy Clemmings. He's one of, he was one of my first prospect crushes of the season. I've been high on him since really early in his senior campaign. And I, I, I would just err on the side of, of maybe a little more upside potential there with Clemens. So give me TJ Clemens. All right, Brian, fi- final verdict, Flowers or Clemens? I'm going to agree with Scott here. I'm going to go with TJ Clemens just because, like he said, that upside moving forward, he fits the look and the mold of a natural left tackle in the NFL. And, you know, while Flowers does bring, you know, his own set of, of promising skills, again, I agree with Scott. I think he's destined to find a home on the right side. So when you take that positional value into the mix, I'm going to go with Clemens. And I'll, I'll be the odd man out. I'm going to give a slight edge to Flowers on, on my side, seeing him play on the left side. But 2-1, to one, Clemmings wins the first head-to-head battle of the show. Let's move on to number two. And uh, this one uh, is a running back battle. We're going to get into – we have a bunch of, of skill positions within these battles. Um, this one comes to us from, from Roto Project 007 and Andrew Miley as well. So the two players are running back Jay Ajayi from Boise State against running back Tevin Coleman from Indiana. Uh, Two interesting running back prospects. Brian, you're going to start us off with this one. How do you break these two guys down? You know, this is a close one because I think you have two guys that have very contrasting styles, and it really comes down as an evaluator what you prefer when you're looking at a running back skill set. I tend to be a guy, when I look at running backs, I tend to – favor the players that have that home run hitting ability, that have that natural juice factor, as I like to call it. And in my opinion, Tevin Coleman brings more of that to the next level than Jay Ajayi does. Ajayi is the kind of running back who's good at just about everything, but I don't see him being great at any one specific uh, aspect of the running back position. He's a very good pass catcher. I think that's where he's going to make his biggest impact early in his career as, as a receiver out of the backfield but I don't see him as a guy that can necessarily flip the field in a hurry like Tevin Coleman can. While Coleman has his own issues, he's a little stiff, runs well upright. Uh, he, he is that kind of player where if he has a crease and he hits it hard, he's, you know, in the blink of an eye, he could be gone. And when I'm looking at the running back position, since you have such a cluster of talent, not only in prospects coming out every year, but even on the pro level in the NFL, you have a bunch of guys that are bunched together. Um, you look for that one special or specific trait that can separate a player from the rest of, of, of that pack. And Tevin Coleman, to me, has that natural speed, has that field-flipping ability uh, where he can change a game in, a, in an instant. And while Ajayi is coming into the league as a more balanced player, probably can play that third-down role as a pass catcher out of the backfield, at this juncture I'm, I'm looking at Coleman as, as my preference. I'm really interested to see how he um, moving forward at his pro day and things like that. I know he's not going to run in Indy. I want to see how he times, if we get a time on him before the before – the, 
uh, actual draft to make sure that that time speed uh, matches what you see on the field. But if I'm going to pick one of these two, it's going to be Tevin Coleman. And, and, and I'm with you that uh, I, I like both these players. I think both have starting potential in the NFL, the, depending on scheme and how you want to use your running back. Um, and I, I'm sad that we're not going to see Tevin Coleman run in Indy with the, the surgery on his toe. It's not fully healed. He's not going to run the 40-yard dash because I think it would be important, I think, for both of these players that long speed and that, that number is going to be important, and rightfully so. Um, I, I think I think Ajayi is uh, – an intriguing outside option, 50 receptions this year, can catch the football. He's, he's a willing blocker. He does everything pretty well. Um, but I, I'm, I'm kind of with you, Brian. I, I don't know if I see that, that game-changing element from him. Uh, I think his vision is solid, but I don't think he's this, like, super explosive player. I don't think he has this great foot speed. I'm not sure he makes guys miss. Um, whether running through them or, or uh, elusiveness. And, and I think Kevin Coleman does have more of that. Now, Coleman has his own issues. He runs very upright, and we, that can lead to problems down the line. We've seen some running backs be able to sustain that, and some running backs have trouble staying on the field and staying healthy when they're taking these big shots in the middle. And, and Coleman's built to, to run up the middle. Uh, but the biggest point that I always have on Coleman is I watched a ton of Indiana games this year, uh, being close to Big Ten country here, and they're often stunk other than him. And every team knew that he was going to run against them, and when he runs for over 200 yards against Iowa, over 300 yards against Rutgers, uh, over 220 yards against Ohio State. Um, to me, that is a player that defense is keying in on him. He, he breaks tackles. If you do not come at him with good technique and right up front and get that shot, uh, you try to arm tackle him, he can elude those very quickly. Uh, and, and he moves extremely well for his size. So I, I, I like him a lot. If, if I'm picking one of these players, say this is going to be my three-down back, this is a player that I believe can run up the middle, can give me that tough yardage. Uh, I, I think it's better – Kevin Coleman's the better guy. I think I think uh, Ajayi will be much better if he um, if he's in kind of a platoon or running back by committee situation. So uh, Scott, I'll hand it off to you. Well, this is something I kind of struggle with when I was last updating the rankings, and I, I, everyone I think kind of agrees it's Todd Gurley and Melvin Gordon are the top two running backs, one order or the other. But then there's four or five guys kind of jockeying for the number three spot, and. I gave Ajayi just a slight edge over Coleman when I did the rankings last, simply because I'm a little concerned about that that foot injury, or like Shane said, the toe with Tevin Coleman uh, that he I believe he underwent surgery after the season. It's hindering him now. He's hoping to work out at some point prior to the draft, but that concerns me a little bit, especially when you consider Tevin Coleman, the guy he most often gets compared to is Darren McFadden, who certainly had his fair share of issues when it comes to durability. But, uh, you know, I think when it comes to the running back position, and I I hate to make this point again, because I I did with Clemens and Flowers again, but I think with running backs in this day and age, it it might just come down to what type of player you're looking for. And and there's some similarities with Coleman and Jai. Both are, are, are the upright runners. Both are very good pass catchers out of the backfield, but I think the one big difference is, is, like I think Shane said, explosiveness. Tevin Coleman, if he gets a seam, he's he's gone in the blink of an eye, and he's going to take it the distance. I'm not sure you have that same level of explosiveness with Ajayi, but I think Ajayi might be a little bit more of a natural runner. He's got those nimble feet, and and maybe is a little more nifty uh, in, in tight quarters. So, um, I, I mean, I, I could make a case for either one of them, and, and I really do believe it kind of depends on what type of player you're looking for. I think uh, in the big difference between the two is that explosiveness that Coleman offers, but uh, I think when, when when you look at the second-tier running backs with, with not only those two, but T.J. Yeldon from Alabama, Duke Johnson from Miami, Amir Abdullah from Nebraska, uh, I think the, the grades are somewhat similar. It just depends what type of player you're looking for, and I think Ajayi gives you a little bit more of the, the, the physical pounded between the tackles dimension, even though Coleman's pretty physical too. It's not that he's just a, a, a one-dimensional finesse type of guy. Uh, but uh, I, I think the explosiveness might give Coleman the, the slight edge, but but ultimately I went with Ajayi just because of the, the durability injury factor that, that, that scares me a little bit with Coleman right now. All right, let, let's go around the horn for our, our final assessments. Brian, which one are you taking here? Gentlemen, give me the juice. Give me Tevin Coleman. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to agree with you. I'm going to take Tevin Coleman as well. If that toe heals up, I'm feeling good. Scott, how about you? 
Well, I'm going to be the outlier here, and I'm going to take a Jai just because uh, if I'm going to invest a second or third round pick on a running back, which I'm already a little leery of doing, I'm not going to take a guy who's hurt or maybe has a health concern. So give me a Jai in that case. All right, so two to one, Coleman ends up taking this one. These have all been close. Obviously, these head-head matchups are meant to be pretty close. So uh, we'll definitely have uh, some more debate here as we move on to the third one. And we're going to go on the defensive side of the ball. We have a couple defensive uh, head-to-heads. These, this one is from at Mindful Rob as well as at Ricky P6. And we're going to be going up with Shane Ray from Missouri, defensive end slash outside linebacker, against Dante Fowler from Florida, also in that same vein. Two guys who are probably going to make their bones rushing the passer in the NFL. And I'll kick this one off. I think it's going to be a common theme in this show uh, because when we compare prospects that are are close in grade – it really comes down to preference, right? Which type of guy that you want. And um, I think on the defensive side of the ball, especially with so many different schemes and different ways you can utilize players, I think it it hearkens that even more. Uh, We've talked in the show before about Shane Ray plenty, and and I think, uh, to me, I would rather have him with his hand on the ground, whereas Dante Fowler I would much rather have standing up in a linebacker role. I think that's where he's going to play. So, uh, to me, it does come down to kind of preference of which type of player you really need for your defense. Now, I like both of these players. Ray was a player, I was a little bit late. You saw the big stats, but I was a little bit late of kind of coming around and really being able to pick up on that explosiveness off the snap. I think he's a great first step, excellent athlete, and a fluid athlete at that. Um, I, I don't want to see him in space. I think that's where he really struggles is getting off blocks and shedding blocks when he's uh, on an island and there's a lot of space there. I think Shane Ray struggles, but when he has some capability kind of in that phone booth, it gets very difficult for a um, for an offensive tackle to stop him. Dante Fowler is, to me, much less of uh, a technician. I think there's a lot of learning for him to do on how to rush the passer and develop more pass rushing moves. He seems to just just, uh, go full force at it and try to blow his way through guys. Sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. But you see that natural athletic ability. Um, Both of these players noted for being hard workers off the field. That's important to me too. And uh, But you see the athletic upside from Dante Fowler. He has the length. I think there's a lot more that he can maybe do at the next level. And if you can develop him, he could. I think he could end up being an elite player. I question that a little bit with Shane Ray, if he's ever going to be an elite all-around player. Whereas I think Fowler can set the edge against a run, can rush the passer, but is not there yet. So I think it's going to come down to uh, kind of, do you want a little bit more of the finished product that you've seen? have those big stats and, and be able to handle it, or do you go with Dante Fowler that has that potential? So um, I'll, I'll kind of save my pick here till, till the end. I've got to think about it a little bit more. But, Scott, I'll pass it on to you. Well, and, and Dante Fowler is a player that I need to look at more because I feel like I might be missing something because it seems like I've come away with a different impression than most. I'm not quite as high on Fowler as a lot of people, and, and I think he's a very good player. Uh, I, I think he belongs in the top half of the first round, but I don't see that dynamic potential that a lot of people do. Uh, I compared him to Derek Morgan, to Bjorn Werner, even Mary, maybe a guy like Jeremiah Tauchu from last year, uh, where he does everything really well, but I don't know that there's one trait that I say he's outstanding with. Whereas with Shane Ray, I, I think his burst off the snap, I think, is as good as anybody in this class not named Vic Beasley. And uh, so, I, you know, I, I think that's the big difference. And I think with Fowler, I, I'm more confident in his ability to play standing up, to play outside linebacker in an odd front than I am with Ray. I think there were more opportunities to see Fowler work uh, in that regard on the film than there were with Ray, who I'm kind of, I feel like I'm still missing a piece of the puzzle. I want to see how he looks in those linebacker drills uh, because th- there weren't as many opportunities to see him work in reverse. So uh, th- that's a big question mark I still have on Shane Ray, but I guess I'm interested to hear Brian's take and get a different perspective on Fowler because, as I said, I just don't see the huge upside and elite potential of Fowler. I think he does everything really well, but I don't know that he does anything great. So uh, I guess that's my big concern with him, but uh, admittedly, i got to go back and look at Fowler because there seems to be a disconnect between what I've seen and what others seem to be seeing. All right, Brian, take it away. You know, I, I agree with you, Scott, in terms of having a little bit of, of confusion when it comes to the hype surrounding Fowler, and I'll take that one step further. I have a little bit of confusion, too, even with Shane Ray. I think both of these guys 
are entering the NFL draft with, with some questions around their game. And both, it's almost like the Clemmings um, and, and uh, Flowers assessment earlier, you know, these guys are projections moving forward. Shane Ray's a guy that burst onto the scene last year. Is he that one-year wonder just, you know, relied on speed and, 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 and some pretty violent hands as well uh, to get to the quarterback this past season? Dante Fowler, a young guy, 20 years old. You know, he, his film has gotten progressively better over the last two seasons, but still he's a guy that you are projecting um, in terms of, of taking that next step in his development. You know, Fowler's one of those classic players that I say is more active than effective on film. He moves quickly, he's violent, and he, he looks like he's this tightly wound ball of power, but he doesn't really culminate to a lot of playmaking on tape. Um, you know, I think Fowler moving forward does offer a little more than Ray. I'm concerned about Ray's ability to hold up against NFL power. You know, too often on tape, he's manhandled in the running game. Uh, you know, I see him struggling film after film to shed blocks. You know, he makes those splash plays, those sexy plays in the backfield, getting to the quarterback and making the sack, and that, that tends to be what people remember. But when you watch, it on, when you watch him on a rep-to-rep basis, there's a lot of liability there against the run, and I'm really concerned about whether or not he's just going to be a situational pass rusher on the next level. Whereas Dante Fowler, he tends to have the power and the athletic ability that if you can coach it up and refine his technique, he could become a much better all-around pro. But both of these guys, I think they're risky top ten picks that are being projected right now. I don't see their film validating that kind of draft grade moving forward, projecting Fowler with some pro coaching, with some – technical development, he could become a very good starting defensive player. Shane Ray, I think his max upside is that situational pass rusher, which has a lot of value, obviously, but is that a top 10 player? Not in my opinion, not the way I grade out players. If I'm going to say one or the other right now, it's Fowler just because I think he has a little more power and he'll be able to hold up um, you know, in the running game a little better, but both of these guys are a little uh, underwhelming to me right now. Well, I, I, yeah, you know, I like them both. I think uh, for for my final pick here, I'm going to go with Fowler too, just as the better all-around player. Uh, I don't know if he goes higher. I kind of think Shane Ray will get drafted higher than him uh, because of, of, Scott, what you said about that that elite traits and elite burst off the line. But I I have this feeling that Fowler is going to be a much better pro player than he was college player. And uh, with that that type of projection, as Brian said, I'm going to go Dante Fowler here. Scott? Well, and at the end of the day, the number one reason for their lofty grades is pass rush ability. That's why they're going to go in the top half of round one. So uh, Dante Fowler Jr., I think he's probably the better all-around player, but I don't know that I'm going to be up the night before a game worrying about Dante Fowler taking over the game as a pass rusher, whereas with Shane Ray, I might lose a little sleep sleep the night before. So, So give me Shane Ray, and then also let's not discount the program pedigree. I mean, Missouri knows what they're doing when it comes to producing pro defensive linemen, not only pro defensive linemen, high end NFL defensive linemen. So I, I, that, that plays a role too. And why I give the slight edge to Shane Ray, I just think he has that one elite trait and, and you can't go wrong with Missouri defensive linemen in the last decade or so. All right. And Brian, your final, you know, if I could do a write in here and actually offer Ray's teammate, Marcus Golden, I think he's actually, a guy that uh, I would prefer over both of these guys, but since we're limited to choosing one of the one of the guys on the board right now, I'm gonna go with Dante Fowler just just because of that power element and a guy that I think if you harness his skill set could be a pretty impactful player in the NFL. So so two to one again. Well, these have all been close, uh, but Dante Fowler gets the edge, uh, Scott, with the, with the one vote there. So we'll, Scott, we'll let you kick off this next one. We're going to move back to the skill positions and talk wide receivers for a little bit. Uh, we have two kind of end of the first round, beginning of the second round wideouts here. Wide receiver Devin Smith from Ohio State versus wide receiver Sammy Coates from Auburn. And this one comes to us from at Blackshirt Scout. So, Scott, why don't you kick us off? What's your breakdown here of Devin Smith versus Sammy Coates? Well, similar types of players. I mean, they're vertical threats. Uh, and, and these two players, I think this is a discussion NFL teams are probably going to have in war rooms when they're trying to make a decision between these two types of players because I think they're both going to be in the discussion. Physically, they're, they're pretty close. They're both right around that 6'1", 6'2", 200-pound mark. They're both going to run four fours, maybe even better. Uh, they've both proven that they can take a top off a of defense. I think where 
the, the difference is going to lie is who teams feel more confident can do other things. We, we know both of these guys can take the top off a of defense and, and catch these 80-yard touchdowns and, and be that threat down the field. But I, I think the concern we have, and, and one we were paying close attention to their performance at the Senior Bowl, how, much, how well could they run other routes? How well do they work underneath? How good are their hands? So, uh, you know, I, I think that all comes into play here when, when differentiating between the two. And, you know, I, I guess push comes to shove. I guess I'd probably side a little more Devin Smith. I guess I have a little more confidence in his hands, whereas with Sammy Coates, I, I think he is a, there's a little bit more question on the tape. But it, it's kind of a 1A and 1B. And for me, the, of all the, we've, all the matchups we've done so far, this might be the closest, uh, just because they, they, they both bring a lot of the same things to the table. And uh, I think it's, it's really kind of a coin flip in my mind. But I might give a slight edge to Devin Smith. But like I said, this, is, this has been the toughest one for me so far. I think it's definitely tight, and and uh, but we'll, we'll we'll see how it goes. Let's let's move to Brian. What what do you think about this matchup here? You know, again, not to repeat a theme here, but I do agree a lot with what Scott was just saying. Um, you know, for me, with these two guys, it comes down to reliability. You know, when the ball's in the air, uh, who do you feel more confidence can actually come down with it? Sammy Coates on the hoof looks the part. I mean, down in Mobile, he was the most impressive-looking wide receiver. He has that makeup, athletic ability, size, length, muscle tone, where you think he could literally take over a game. But then there are those moments on film where you just leave yourself scratching your head wondering how did he drop that pass or how did he not go up and high point that ball or how did he not beat the defensive back to the ball on on rep after rep after rep. And while Devin Smith isn't necessarily an elite talent, I think he is a more reliable talent. And and in the NFL – you know, it's not just about getting open or being a deep threat. It's about actually taking advantage of the opportunities that come your way. When the ball's in the air and, it, and your number is called, who's going to actually come down with the football? And I think at this point in their development and in their evaluation, I feel more confident that Devin Smith would be the guy that actually completes the pass and moves the chains or makes that big play vertically down the field. I do agree with Scott that it's really close, and Sammy Coates is the kind of guy that's going to wow scouts and decision makers with just his physical appearance, his athleticism. But you got to remember to watch the tape, and you got to remember that the essence of a wide receiver, regardless how fast you are, how big you are, or how strong you are, is can you catch the football? And that's my biggest question with Sammy Coates. And, you know, I agree it's a coin flip. But if I if I have to make a decision right now, it would be Devin Smith. This is tight for me too. I I can see the upside with both of these players. I I, I like Brian's point that Sammy Coates has that potential to take over a game because uh, I, I think he does. Uh, not just as a deep threat, but uh, one thing that impressed me during the Senior Bowl was how he did in the red zone. Uh, that I think he has some some of a red zone threat. Uh, I, I think his his vertical is going to be very very good, and there is a lot of different ways that you can utilize him. But man, some games of his are just really bad. Whereas I think Devin Smith was a consistent performer this season. He got to the back of the defense consistently. He seemed to make a big play in almost every single game. And you know what? I think he did a lot more underneath than Sammy Coates did and showed that effectiveness in his hands and to get up to top speed and accelerate pretty quickly. Uh, I kind of think Devin Smith is, is the better all-around talent. I think if there's one of these two players that's going to be more than a deep threat – I would bet on Smith uh, that he could be a more complete wide receiver. Maybe maybe not have that potential of greatness that Sammy Coates has, but uh, I lean towards Devin Smith as well. So uh, let's go back give the final verdict. Scott, who are you picking? I'm going with Devin Smith. All right, Brian? I agree. I'm, it's, it's close, but, again, I, I want to know when the ball is in the air. I don't have to hold my breath every single time, and I think Devin Smith gives you that peace of mind that he's actually going to make the catch. And this will be our first unanimous one. I'm going with Devin Smith as well, but uh, I think it's very close, and it's that, that, that it's going to be fun on draft day to see which one of these guys ends up going higher. All right, let's move on to our next uh, head-to-head contest. We're going to move back to the defensive side of the ball. Uh, this one coming from at Rossetti. And this is going to be linebackers, two guys that have a top 50-ish buzz, and but uh, very different players. Linebacker Denzel Perryman from Miami against linebacker Eric Kendricks 
from UCLA. And Brian, you're going to kick us off with this one. So how do you how do you break down this matchup? This is a good one. This is a good matchup. These are two players that I really like for different reasons. Um, I think they both offer a starter skill set for the NFL. Uh, I'm really high on Eric Hendricks. I have him right now as a first-round prospect. Uh, I think when you look at his production, his athleticism, his fiery personality on the field, I think he comes in right away as a rookie and he starts. I know he's a little bit undersized. He's going to have to uh, to establish, you know, prove um, that that he has that explosive testing numbers and even some strength to be able to hold up as a middle linebacker. I think the, I think he can play as a as a, as a middle linebacker in a forty three front or put him on the weak side if he can't hang with the strength in the NFL on the inside. Uh, but you know his history of production, his IQ on the field, the 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 speed that he recognizes a play and fires like a torpedo toward the ball carrier. He's a reliable tackler. He's an athlete. He's pretty good in coverage. Sometimes he can get lost in space, but he recognizes the screen the screen game quickly. Closes on the on the on the, on the pass catcher out of the backfield in a hurry. Um, you know, my only question with him is really when he's asked to drop into coverage. Like I said, he can get lost in space a bit. Tends to grab and pull at his assignment uh, when he gets turned around in coverage. But overall, as an athlete. Uh, his his football IQ, again, his production and his pedigree. He's got a brother in the NFL. He knows what the NFL game is all about. He knows what it takes to succeed on the next level. Uh, he's a guy that I'm really excited about. I think he's going to get drafted a lot higher than people have him pegged right now. Um, whereas Perryman, again, a lot of people are discounting uh, his overall skill set. I know some people consider him to be really tight-hipped, a real liability in coverage, and I'm not saying he's not. But he's a classic thumper. He's going to throw his nose in the, in, you know, right in the action. I like his ability to recognize. He guesses a little bit too much. Sometimes he takes a bad angle. But he's a reliable tackler. He's a physical guy. Um, but if I'm going to take a guy early in the draft or I'm going to try to, to fill one of my holes in my linebacking group, I just love the upside of Kendricks. I love the fact that he can shift to different positions as well, whether it's on the middle or, or move him outside. And uh, while it's close in terms of my personal enjoyment watching these guys on film, you know, 10 out of 10 times, I think I'd be taking Eric Hendricks. This, this, this one's tough for me, too, because I like Eric Hendricks a lot. Um, I, I definitely have had him high very early in the process, and he's, he's insanely productive. I, I think Hendricks is a much safer bet, ultimately, to be a productive NFL player, I could see him being a starter for a while. Um, whereas Perriman, I think, has a little bit more upside where and just the different ways that you can use him. I think Kendricks is going to be um, that 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 thumper in the middle. You don't want to drop him back into coverage because, as, as Brian, as you mentioned, gets lost a little bit, and I don't think he's going to move sideline to sideline very well. And I'm not even sure that upside is there for him to do that. But in terms of, of leadership, of going downhill, making tackles, making defensive calls, that Kendricks has all that in spades. I think he's a safe pick. I think Perriman has some upside. I mean, I, I, I watch him, and I just wish – uh, I, I could could get him to to drop those hips and loosen it up and and be able to move a little more fluidly and I think he could be an absolute monster when he gets up to full speed. Uh, you see him rush the passer from that middle linebacker position, which uh, you don't always see in the at the college level. But he gets up to full speed and gets that full head of steam very quickly and becomes very difficult uh, despite his size to block. So I feel like Perriman has a little more upside, maybe even rushing the passer, stunting him, using him in some different and unique ways uh, in, in a defense. And that, that kind of versatility I value a lot too. So I, I, I like both these players. But, but if Perriman, man, if he could just loosen up, loosen up a little bit, I think he could be good in coverage. He's not right now. Um, and and uh, there's a lot more that I want out of these two players. I think Perriman has the upside. Kendricks has the safety. And, and to me, that makes it a really tough decision. Uh, Scott, how about you? Well, I, I think what makes the decision so tough is we don't really know what type of scheme or defense we're taking the player for. I think that's a big missing component in this discussion because I, I think Perriman and Kendricks do bring different skill sets to the table. And I guess in a vacuum, I would side more with Kendricks simply because he's faster, he's more athletic. I, I, I think he... He's, he's probably a better all-around player when you factor in the coverage aspects. And 
I think he gives you more options, whereas Denzel Perriman, I think he's that classic old-school Mike. He might be a little bit limited in terms of his coverage, but he's got the instincts. He's going to be a field general, kind of an extension of the coaching staff. He's going to make the calls. So uh, I'm inclined to say Kendricks, but I I really like Perriman. I think he's just one of those linebackers, and we see one almost every year that for one reason or another – scouts look for reasons to to drop him down whether it be EJ Henderson going back a ways James Laurinaitis even Levante David and I think teams are going to find reason to push Perriman down the board a little bit further than he should probably go but boy he's a good football player so uh you know it's close and I, I really think this is a situation where if you tell me that I'm looking for a 4-3 Mike, strictly a 4-3 Mike, I'll take Perriman, whereas with Kendricks, if I want somebody with more athleticism that can help and maybe be more of a factor in coverage, who can maybe play a couple of different positions in an, uh, an even front, I might go with Kendricks. But it's close, but I think just to a certain degree, it's kind of apples and oranges. I think they're two distinct options it just kind of depends what type of player you're looking for but uh you know i'll start you can go around the horn and i'm sure here shane with our picks so i'll just yeah. start with my pick i'm gonna take Perriman, uh, and i can see why you take kendrick's in a vacuum as probably the best decision because he does give you more options i just think Perriman's such a good football player i'm not gonna i'm just not gonna read too much into what he can't do i'm just gonna focus on what he can do and he's a heck of a football player so give me Perriman. all right brian who's your pick yeah you know <clears throat> With these two guys, you you can't go wrong with either one, in my opinion. You're going to get a player who's going to start in the NFL. You're going to get a player who's going to be productive in the NFL. So it's it's literally like you know one half dozen of the other type analysis. But I do disagree slightly with what you said, Shane, a few seconds ago. Where I think Kendricks actually projects with more upside potential on the next level, strictly because I think he is a better athlete. I wouldn't, you know, devalue or undervalue his sideline to sideline speed. I think he will have enough juice to make plays from sideline to sideline in the NFL. And I just think that athletic ability is is superior to, to Perryman. And when you, it, almost like what we talked about with the Coleman and Ajayi analysis earlier, when you have two players who their on-field production, their leadership, their understanding of the game, their performance at the position is is pretty similar. You have to start looking toward that. Just what separates them athletically. And, and would would allow you to kind of hedge your bet on one or the other. And in my opinion here, Kendricks is the better athlete, is the guy who I think is safer in coverage, and is a guy that I think can make those bigger splash athletic plays while also being consistent from the linebacker spot. So give me Kendricks. It, it's tough. It's tough. And um, I'm, I think I'm going to go with Perriman as well, just as mentally, I feel a little more comfortable with it. Uh, I do feel that he um, that he gets up to speed a little bit quicker. And uh, but I, I like both these players. It would not surprise me if both of them are, are starting for a long time. I think both both of your points are are well made. And and and, and even kind of our disagreement on, on Kendrick's upside, Brian. Um, but you know, I, I can understand it. But I, I think Perriman's gonna gonna just come into the NFL and do what he's done well. And if the coaches can get him loosen up a little bit and you add that with the football IQ, I think you could have a really, really good player. Um, so let's let's move on to, to our next one here. And this one is from Josh Buchanan, actually, at Josh NFL Draft. So you know there's going to be a small schooler in here. We're going back to the skill positions. And he wants us to go head-to-head on running back David Johnson from Northern Iowa uh, versus running back T.J. Yeldon from Alabama, so kind of the ultimate small school versus the ultimate big school running back, and I think I think this is a pretty fun head-to-head because I, I like both these players a lot, and uh, it's kind of interesting because both guys, to me, are the, these kind of big-bodied. You, you look at them without without watching them play. You look at the body type, and you think these are going to be uh, between the tackles guys. I mean, I mean, David Johnson uh, listed at, at 229 pounds, and you know what? He catches the ball extremely well, uh, and and is a lot more versatile as a blocker, as a receiver. He does a ton. Uh, T.J. Yeldon. I think kind of the same way, 218 pounds he's listed as, so a little smaller than Johnson. But, um, man, I, I still still remember screen passes in space, Yeldon making guys miss. Uh, the, both these players actually do pretty well in space for their size. They're not strictly these kind of two-down-something running backs, even though that might be what they're best at 
when we get to the NFL level. To me, I you know what what worries me with with both of these players for David Johnson, uh, I'm really worried about how much wear he has. Yeah, I think he had over a thousand touches of the football in his college career, and even against a little bit less competition in Northern Iowa, it's, it's not a, a D3 school here. He's he's facing some pretty good athletes. He's getting hits and taking shots. And but you know what I'll give him credit for is that he he avoids those pretty well. He has quick feet. He's pretty nimble for his size, but that's a lot of touches, and, and, and I get fearful when you start to approach that number. Yeldon, I think, has his own set of issues. You know, he was he never really got to be that number one guy, which I think we talked about the Alabama running backs a ton. I think we talked about Eddie Lacy being that, that player, which can, can be helpful, can maybe save some of that wear on the tires. But uh, Derrick Henry was there this year. Yeldon always had some type of competition um, or, or an injury or something that kind of held him back. Uh, but I do think he has the build and the makeup of an NFL player. And maybe neither of these players is a three down. He's going to be your stud and get uh, get a ton of carries, 200-plus like carries and, and 70 catches or anything like that. But I think you put uh, either of these players as the head of a running back by committee, first two downs, find someone a third down that, that has a little bit more speed and explosiveness and can make that big play, I think it can work out. So I, I think I would lean Yeldon by a little bit. I just think he's a little bit more versatile, uh, a little bit less wear on the tires. And I think he's, he is just as elusive as David Johnson is without that. But uh, it's, it's close. I, I think either one of these could go higher. So, uh, Scott, I'll pass it to you. Well, and this is an interesting one, and, and, and you, you just kind of wonder, what, what would have happened if T.J. Yeldon had played at Northern Iowa and David Johnson had played at Alabama? Uh, and, and I think Yeldon does get a benefit of the doubt and does get a bump because of that Crimson Tide pedigree. Uh, they have su- had such a good track record, and even though a guy like Trent Richardson didn't work on the NFL, Alabama has al- always had a very productive running game. And, and Yeldon, like you said, Shane, he, he, he always had someone else to contend with and to fight with and to compete with for touches and actually averaged less than 200 uh, touches a season over his three years. So, uh, and and. and Granted, Alabama passed the ball more this past season, uh, but had his worst season of his career. Didn't even run for 1,000 yards this past year. He was dinged up a little bit. He was hurt, which is a little bit of concern for me, too, uh, with T.J. Yeldon. Uh, He had some fumbling issues during his college career, which is a little bit of a concern. And I just don't know with Yeldon. I don't know that there's a special aspect of his game. I think he does everything pretty well, but I don't know if he does anything great. And if I'm going to invest a top 100 pick on a running back, I want to see some special qualities because we know we, you, can get, you can get productive runners all throughout. So if I'm going to invest in one early, I want to see some special qualities. And I don't know that I see that with T.J. Yeldon. And, uh, it, whereas with David Johnson, I think the versatility. I mean, you mentioned the pass-catching ability, Shane. He's such a good pass-catcher to the point that there's been speculation that maybe he could move to a tight end or an H-back type of role. Uh, obviously, he was very, uh, very uh, uh, productive against a lower level of competition. Uh, he's bigger than Yeldon is. Uh, so... What this comes down to me, to for me, is value. Uh, if you can tell me I can get Johnson a round or two later than Yeldon, I'll take Johnson because I think it's close enough that uh, I would feel comfortable waiting to get better value uh, than I would to take Yeldon maybe in the second or third round. And I'm not so sure that Yeldon doesn't slide a little bit in the draft for, for a lot of the reasons I, I talked about. Um, I, I don't know that he's a, a special prospect that position that a team's going to feel compelled to make a, a, a top 100 investment in. All right, Brian. Yeah, I, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm coming from a little bit of a different perspective on this one than I think you guys are because I, I seem to be – uh, a little bit higher on T.J. Yeldon and even a little bit lower on David Johnson. For me, this one isn't really all that close. Um, I would take T.J. Yeldon head and shoulders above David Johnson at this point simply because when you look at the running back position, I always start with the feet, and T.J. Yeldon has an underrated set of quick feet that he uses to you know navigate through the hole and, and, and maximize every carry, whereas David Johnson, when you watch him run, He's a stiff guy. I mean, I, I, I think part of the reason why there was some speculation about him maybe kicking the tight end or even that H-back role is because his running, his running skill set doesn't necessarily translate into that overwhelming or high-level success as a pure running back in the NFL. His pass-catching ability is very appealing as a third-down pass catcher coming out of the backfield, maybe as that, that joker fullback type of player like a Marcel Reese 
but I don't see him being the type of guy that you can rely on from from a pure traditional running back standpoint, whereas Yeldon reminds me of a poor man's edger in James at times where he has those quick, you know, pitter-patter feet, but that he uses to his advantage. He has some power behind his pads. He can run a little upright at times, but overall he's produced at the highest level of college football, and he doesn't have a lot of wear and tear like you said, Shane, whereas David Johnson, not only does he have, in my opinion, just an average runner skill set, he has above average tear wear and tear on his body and has not really faced the level of competition to make you feel comfortable or confident that some of his big plays would have translated to SEC play. Um, well, I, I'd never want to discount a guy because they haven't you know, necessarily had the opportunity to, to wear that Crimson Tide uniform. In this situation with these two guys, I just see too much in favor of P.J. Yeldon to make, them much of a comp- to make this much of a competition here. I think Yeldon has a natural NFL running back skill set, maybe a running back by committee guy that eventually elevates into a starting role because of injury. The kind of player that there's an injury in front of him, he gets on the field and he shows, hey, he's a productive guy and he's going to be the kind of player you can't take out of your lineup. Neither of these guys are going to challenge for that early day two range. Yeldon maybe can, uh, that middle of day two, but I would take T.J. Yeldon at this point strictly because he's a more natural runner. He's got looser hips, even though they're not exceptionally loose. They're looser than David Johnson's. He runs a better pad level, and he's just you know just an overall better running back in my opinion. All right, let's go around the horn for our, our final determination here. I, I think I'm going to go with, with T.J. Yeldon. I think both of you made uh, some pretty good arguments, and uh, but I, I I like Brian's foot speed comments. I think Yeldon is another one of those players might might end up being a little bit better of a pro than a college player. But I like both. I think both can be productive and both could uh, be the, the head of, of some type of running back committee. Scott? Well, if they're going to cost me the same, I would probably go with Yeldon just because I've seen him get the job done against the high level of competition. But, but this is one where I'm, I'm going to factor in value. And if, if I feel like I could get David Johnson a round or two later, to me it's not as much of a separation, I'll, I'll take a value. I'll take David Johnson in round five as opposed to, say, T.J. Yeldon in round two or three. So so because of the value aspect of this, give me David Johnson. I'll go against the grain a little bit here. And Brian? Yeah, you know, when you factor in these running backs, you look at the ultimate upside, which of these two players, what type of, of, of pro could they be like? David Johnson, his absolute upside to me could maybe be like that Ryan Terrain type of runner in the NFL. Whereas T.J. Yeldon, like I said, he has a poor man's Edron James skill set. Not that he's going to be one of those historic-type runners, but he's got that effective footwork that works in the NFL. So, you know, 10 out of 10 times, T.J. Yeldon. All right, let's move on. I think we have time for, for a couple more here. We're going to go back to the defensive side of the ball, interior defensive linemen, two players from the Big Ten. We have defensive tackle Carl Davis from Iowa against defensive tackle Michael Bennett from Ohio State to two, two intriguing prospects. Scott, I'll let you start this one. Well, I, I really like Michael Bennett, and of course he doesn't have that ideal bulk that you look for, but he's a really good football player. You watch him, he's a guy who gets the job done on the tape. Uh, he's very effective. Uh, and I, I think he, he gives you a lot of options with his versatility, being able to play in, in an odd or an even front. Uh, defensive tackle, maybe play some five techniques. So uh, there's a lot to like about Michael Bennett. The reason I think I would maybe give Carl Davis just a little bit of an edge because I think he has more all-around potential. I I think Carl Davis showed – we know Carl Davis is an outstanding run stuffer. He's bigger. He's got more bulk. We know he's got the ideal dimensions you look for, and we know he can stuff the run, but didn't always get a chance to rush the passer as much as we would have liked to have seen in the Iowa scheme. Whereas at the Senior Bowl, I think Carl Davis was was let loose to a certain degree, and he flashed more pass rush and penetration potential than, than maybe we saw in the game film from with the Hawkeyes. So I guess I would give a slight edge to Davis because he's bigger, and I think he gives you a little bit more of an all-around skill set. So um, once again, these are all close. That's why we, we pitted these two guys against each other. But uh, push comes to shove. As much as I like Bennett, I think I would go with Carl Davis there. All right, Brian. I, I agree with with a lot of what Scott said once again. I think when you look at Bennett, you're looking at a, just a really good, solid football player who's who's going to flash in the backfield from time to time, and it's going to be the kind of guy that you can rely on. 
as that fringe starter or, or extremely important member of your defensive line rotation. But Carl Davis is that type of physical specimen that you don't really see all that often. What I mean by that is, you know, he's that 320-pounder who you forget at times on film that he's actually that big because he moves well on his feet, he's deceptively quick, he has good closing speed for a defense, for a huge defensive lineman. Um, and I think when you're looking at the upside of Davis and, and his, his ability to be scheme diverse, uh, he's going to fit for just about any team that's in need of a defensive lineman. I think ultimately he presents a lot more value with even some athletic upside, some more athletic upside than, than Bennett. So I think in this case, while it is close, and I am a big fan of Bennett's game, I would take Davis strictly because you can slide him up and down the defensive line. You're going to get a better athlete than even his Iowa film showed because, you know, like Scott said, he was a little bit limited by the scheme. And when he had a chance to kind of unleash himself in Mobile, he was almost unblockable. And part of that is because of that combination of size and quickness that, you know, you, sometimes you find guys that are really big and really strong. Sometimes, sometimes you find guys that aren't as big but who can penetrate. When you find a guy that kind of has a little bit of both, that, that's a pretty valuable asset. And I think Davis presents that. And, and at this juncture, I would, I would tend to, to side with Carl Davis. And, and let me mention this one came to us from at Overtime Drives. And I, I think we're all in agreement. Both these are good players. Michael Bennett, from from that, that interior perspective, getting collapsed in the pocket, getting pass rush, he is very consistent at doing that. I think helped Ohio State in a lot of ways that aren't on the stat sheet. Um, and I, I think he'll go very high. I think he can be a productive football player. But uh, watching Carl Davis, you, you love – his reach, you love his range, you love that size and the way that he moves his feet to stop the run and fill gaps. One of the best at doing that. And then the senior bowl, I mean, showing that he can get that push. He has the lower body strength to actually push guys back and rush the passer a little bit. Uh, it's, it's everything you dream of because this is a really good football player that now shows complete skill set. Um, obviously extremely different players from size and an athletic perspective, but uh, I think it was it, it, like Aaron Donald last year at the Senior Bowl just, just came in and there's questions, yeah, is he really as dominant as, as the stats say and as the awards were? And then he was, and then he blew up the combine. I think Carl Davis is, is, is having a similar trajectory in just how we were unsure and we're kind of questioning, yeah, the tape's good, but can he do this? But is he going to do this? And he was succeeded. Now, obviously, I don't think Carl Davis is going in the, in the top, top half of the first round. I don't even think he's going in the first round. But I think he's that good of a player that you just get a pure football player that can do everything and has a smart football IQ. So uh, I guess I'll start going around the horn. I, I'm taking Davis, and uh, I, it's not too much of a question to me, even though I like Bennett. Scott? Yeah, I'm taking Carl Davis, too, even though I really like Michael Bennett. And like you said, Shane, I think you made a great point. A lot of stuff Bennett does doesn't necessarily show up in the stat sheet. But uh, I, I got to go with the guy who, 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 gives the, the, who offers more all-around potential and the superior physical tools than Carl Davis. And, Brian, who are you going with? It's unanimous, gentlemen, Carl Davis. All right, so well, let's do our last one here, our last head-to-head. This one came to us from, hi, my name is Mark Two. And we're going back to the skill positions to finish up two smaller wide receivers. Wide receiver Tyler Lockett from Kansas State against wide receiver Ty Montgomery from Stanford. And, Brian, I'm going to send this one to you first. You know, this is, this is a, a battle here that, that is not as thrilling for me because I'm not as high uh, on either one of these guys. Uh, you know, Ty Montgomery was a player coming into the season – that I was really excited about. I thought he had a chance to take the college football world by storm and just be that electric, all-around, multi-purpose offensive weapon. And and I was hoping to see more development from him as a natural wide receiver. Obviously, we all know that didn't that didn't really pan out this year. And while he still offers that excitement on special teams, you know he is much like Sammy Coates in our earlier discussion. He's an inconsistent pass catcher and down in Mobile. I mean, he looked like he was actually fighting with the football when it came to him at times. You know, he made some plays. He recovered later on during the week. But early on, the, the initial impressions that he was making on me live and being able to watch him uh, in the practice drills, it, it wasn't pretty. But Tyler Lockett is a guy who just, you know, he's quick. He's, he's fast. He's, 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 he's going to have a nice role in the NFL. He's, it's almost like the Ajayi discussion earlier. He's a good player, but I don't see anything that can necessarily make him a special talent on the next level. Ty Montgomery is the guy I would, I would lean towards simply because 
you know, a lot of times people forget about that third aspect of the game, which is special teams. And I think he's going to be a really, really productive return man uh, on the next level while he works on his craft as a wide receiver or just becomes one of those offensive gadgets for a crafty offensive coordinator. Montgomery has a better frame. He, he's, he's just built better. I think he can handle the NFL pounding a little better than Lockett might be able to. So while I'm not necessarily super high on either one of these guys, the diversity of Ty Montgomery, Montgomery and his ability to, to excel as a return man on the next level is what would give me uh, is what would give him the edge for me at this point. And I think I'm with you, Brian. I'm not extremely high on either player. And Montgomery, um, I, I thought he was going to have a huge season. There's there's the talk early in the season of maybe being a first round pick. He definitely has the size. Uh, listed six two two fifteen. He has that athletic ability. Uh, it, it looked like this this could be the year for him. But Stanford's offense really struggled, and I think Montgomery's a big part of that struggle. Where a lot of people want to blame it on, on Kevin Hogan and blame it on the quarterback. Montgomery, for for as much as he athletic and, and tall as he is. Um, he, it's not like he got great separation. Even against smaller corners, he wasn't able to use his body effectively and drop footballs and just was not in position to make catches. Uh, I was really disappointed with him. Whereas Tyler Lockett uh, is a player that I think a lot of people love. Uh, I'm not in love with him, but as a slot wide receiver, as a return guy, um, I, I, th- I think Lockett could really be uh, a weapon in the NFL where you use him in, in, the, on the, in the slot, he can catch a ball and take it to the house. Now, he's another player who I think struggles with making those easy catches and sometimes makes it more difficult than it should be. Uh, both these guys do that. Uh, but I, I really like what I see from Lockett getting to that third gear, his explosiveness off the line of scrimmage. And you know what he does a lot better than Montgomery is just being crisp in how he runs his routes. Uh, he, he doesn't have wasted movement, whereas Montgomery has a ton of wasted steps and movement and moving and shaking that doesn't seem to do anything for him. Uh, Lockett doesn't do that, and even though he, he might not have that starter quality, that outside receiver quality that Montgomery has, I think he's a safer option to be to be an NFL player. I'm going to take uh, Tyler Lockett in this one. Scott? Well, and, and the biggest difference between these two, of course, is that bulk. I mean, Montgomery basically has 30 pounds, if not more, on Lockett, so that that's the, the, the most significant difference. And i, I got to say – Montgomery, like you said, talked about Shane, came into the year as potential, viewed as a potential first-round pick. But I think every time I update my rankings, I move Montgomery down further. It seems like the more I watch of him, the less I like him. And I, I just wonder if he's not – on paper, Ty Montgomery looks the part. But I just wonder if he's not a better athlete than football player and certainly didn't have the type of senior campaign we were expected. Average less than 10 yards a catch, only three touchdowns as a senior. And, of course – Stats aren't everything, but I think in this case, stats are relevant because I never really saw Ty Montgomery take over a game. I saw Tyler Lockett take over games and dominate, and and, and I think the stats reflect that. Uh, Lockett had almost four times as many touchdowns, uh, had over 100 catches as a senior, and of course, stats aren't everything, but this is another one where I think value comes into play. Uh, And Ty Montgomery, like I mentioned, I keep pushing him down my draft board. I, I, I could make it, I think I think I could make a pretty good argument, especially in this deep wide receiver class, that Ty Montgomery maybe shouldn't even be a day two pick. I could see him falling into day three. So uh, if you're giving me the option of Ty Montgomery, say, in round three, or Ty Lockett in round four or five, I'd probably go with Lockett. And and, and I think Lockett's a more dynamic return man, too. I think both can contribute in that aspect of the game. But I I think Lockett, just like he's proven at wide receiver, as a return man, he's proven to be more of a a big play threat. So on paper, I think I'd probably go with Ty Montgomery. But based on the film and and the value, I think I'd probably go with Ty Lockett in in this case. All right, let's so one last around the horn, Brian. You kick it off. Who who are you taking? You know, you guys were, were pretty persuasive with your Lockett arguments, but I'm just going to, you know, go back to what I said earlier in that, you know, I don't see either one of these guys. I, I do agree that Lockett is the more refined receiver at this point and, and probably will continue to be the more refined receiver, but I still don't see either one of these guys being a dominant NFL pass catcher. And, and, and while, yes, Lockett does offer offer value in special teams, for my money, I, I, you know, if I'm going to put a guy, line a guy back there to return a kick and hope that, that he makes that game-changing play, I'm going to put it in Montgomery's hands, and, and that's what ultimately breaks the tie for me, and, and Ty Montgomery's the guy. But, but I would not take him probably before day three, like Scott said. 
Well, I, I'm going to go with Tyler Lockett. I think he's a little bit more, a little bit more dynamic, and uh, even though he might not be that starting receiver, I, I have some good faith that that Lockett's going to be productive. So I'm taking Lockett. Scott. Yeah, and, and like I said, I'm going to go with uh, with Lockett there too. And, and I, I just, I, I, you, you've heard the comparisons to Ted Ginn with Ty Montgomery, and, and I think you see shades of that. And I think Montgomery's going to play in the league. I don't think he's going to be a bust by any stretch, but uh, I, I definitely don't view him in the, under in, through the same prism as I did maybe six to eight months ago. So uh, I, I'm going with Lockett for no other reason than the value there. So uh, you know that was fun, Shane. I think we got a pretty good wide range of opinions there. I think we ended up doing eight topics. Uh, do you have like final? Alleys. I don't know if you kept track. I think we had a couple that were unanimous, sure. but most of the time it was two to one, I think. Yeah, uh, yeah I, can give, I can give final tallies real quick. Our, our first one was two to one, TJ Clemmings over Eric Flowers. Our second one was two to one, Tevin Coleman over Jay Ajayi. Uh, so our third one was two to one, Dante Fowler over Shane Ray. Our next was unanimous, for Devin Smith. Then two to one, Denzel Perryman over Eric Kendricks. Two to one, TJ Yeldon over David Johnson. Uh, we were unanimous on Carl Davis over Michael Bennett, and then finally two to one, Tyler Lockett over Ty Montgomery. So, so very close. I think I think our the Twitter followers did a good job of getting some real close ones there. Yeah, absolutely. And and once again, I, I think these are the types of conversations that happen in war rooms as teams are trying to differentiate between similar players, maybe that have either similar skill sets, similar values, or both. They're trying to figure out who to put five, who to put six, or whatever the case might be. These are the type of discussions you have, and a lot of times it's it's just something very minor that gives one guy a slight edge over the other. But um, uh, that that was fun, though. That, that worked out pretty well. Uh, Brian, before we end the show, I want to give you a chance to, to pub everything. And, of course, Draft Breakdown, any Draft Nick already knows Draft Breakdown. I've long said that the holy grail for Draft Nicks is wide availability of film. And, and Draft Breakdown does it, is, it better than anybody. It's just a, a, an extremely valuable resource. But, uh, but I, I won't toot your horn anymore. I'll let you toot your own horn for a little bit, Brian. <laughs> I appreciate the words, Scott and Shane. And guys, I appreciate you, you having me on tonight. And, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm – I'm honored to be a part of Draft Breakdown now and, and pairing up with Aaron Aloysius and, and trying to put together, uh, you know, a destination for the draft fan and talent evaluator to be able to come to, watch the tape. Our new, uh, our, re- our newly launched site, the relaunch, uh, you know, allows for visitors to start contributing their scouting notes and put up their own mock drafts and even write their own draft analysis in our members section. Uh, so it really should hopefully uh, generate an even better and stronger draft community. And we're hoping to, to keep growing growing the site and, and expanding its reach. And obviously, guys like you help uh, help keep, uh, to keep spreading that word, and, and, and we're just hoping to, to continue to grow the site. But it, it wouldn't be in existence without the great fans and followers of the NFL draft, and it's just a privilege to be a part of it. And I don't know, did you mention your Twitter handle? Let us know where we can follow you there, too. Uh, of course. You can follow me on, on Twitter, at FirstRoundGrade. Um, you know, I love the interaction with all the draft uh, fans and draft nicks out there on Twitter. It's some of the best. It's, you know, Twitter, draft Twitter, has actually become one of the best resources to learn about hidden talent, to have conversations like we just had for the last hour about different prospects, comparing notes, comparing thoughts. So while draft Twitter sometimes gets a bad rap, in my opinion, it's, it's done wonders for, for the community. And uh, at first round grade, give me a follow. Well, anybody who doesn't like draft Twitter, they they should have to go back 15, 20 years ago and come up when I did, when there, when when I couldn't find people to to talk draft with. So uh, uh, it, it's just great that we have this huge community now of draft nicks that that we can discuss all these prospects. And uh, uh, Brian, like I said. Draft Breakdown is such an incredible resource. Uh, we can actually go and watch the players, and, and, and people can form their own opinions, which is just invaluable. So thank you so much for coming on. You did a great job. We really appreciate it, and, and we'll have you back again soon. Gentlemen, I really appreciate it. Thank you, guys. All right, and with that, we are going Thanks, to call friend. it a show. We want to thank everybody so much for tuning in. We really appreciate it. The, the listener numbers climb and climb, and as I always say, if you like the show, go ahead and feel free to give us a, a positive review on iTunes and, and help more people discover uh, the, the podcast. Uh, so, okay, so we're going to end it right now. We're going to call it a show. Uh, and before we do, as always, there are 70 days, 21 hours, 25 minutes, and 59 seconds left until the 2015 NFL Draft. Tick-tock.